Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. The Yacking Show brings you business tips, but today we are bringing you a new guest for Harmony, your path to wholeness health channel. As always, we have interesting guests, and today is certainly no exception. But first, let's introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. And thank you also very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate having you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We're very excited to welcome Maya Miller to the show. Now, Maya, Maya is a metabolic health coach and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. A fancy way of saying that she uses clinical labs to analyze blood, urine, stool, hair, etc. to figure out why her clients are feeling burnt out, exhausted and sick. She then uses those results to create tailored bio-individual protocols to reverse their symptoms. Mm. So welcome, Maya. How are you today? Hello, hello, hello. I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. Oh, let's jump right in, Maya. How does your interpretation of the clinical lab results differ from the approach of conventional medical practitioners? Oh, man, that's a really important question. I love that you're just getting to like the good stuff, right? Right out of the gate. So um, I am not a doctor and I don't diagnose or treat diseases specifically. But what I do is I use labs to kind of figure out generally patterns in the body. Mm-hmm. And my clients don't really care if we can name it, blame it and medicate it as long as we can just kind of get rid of all of the symptoms, right? And so there's a pretty big difference between, I would say, allopathic medicine, the traditional Western model and the functional medicine model. And um, the functional medicine model takes a look if we're to look at like a tree. Um, If the tree all of a sudden, if the leaves were falling off and it's the middle of summer and um, we look at the soil, we look at the roots, we look at the leaves, we look at the trunk, we look at the bark. Um, Whereas I feel like the Western allopathic model would take a leaf, um, spray paint it green and then glue it back up on the tree. And so there's a difference between, um, I would say, the way that like a functional medicine or a functional nutrition practitioner like myself would look at lab results um, and uh, compared to to that like that Western model. So there are in the U.S. at least there's a handful of companies that, um, you know, Quest Diagnostics, LabCorp, where you can go in, you can get your blood drawn. But I don't know. When's the last time you've been feeling fantastic um, and um, and gone to the doctor and said, I just want to do a random blood drop? Like never. You are oh. typically, right? Yeah. <laughs> you typically don't feel well. You go to the doctor, they decide to run labs. Well, what these lab companies are doing in, in creating these lab ranges, let's say for TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, it's a very common lab run especially on women, but all, all people. Um, and there'll be a functional range and that functional range can go all the way up, you know, from like, you know, one to six or seven or eight, something like that. Or I'm sorry, the, the clinical range can be like, is, is, is very, is very broad. And so, um, and, and whereas the functional range that we look at is, um, okay, what's optimal. So instead of telling you a, that, that clinical range is a statistical average of mm-hmm. all of the people that don't feel well in the United States. And then we say, what's the statistical average? And then that's the range. 
well, that doesn't really tell you what's optimal. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want to be compared to the average American, which is very unhealthy, right? We take a look at 70% of the U.S. population is overweight overweight or or morbidly obese. We've got diabetes, um, heart disease. I mean, all sorts of like, you know, major, major things happening to the the U.S. population. I don't want to compare myself to like the average Joe. I want to compare myself to you know, a woman my age that is, you know, firing kind of on all cylinders. So that, and the reason that this is important, um, Kathleen, is because oftentimes my clients go to their doctors. Um, My clients on average see 12 doctors before they get to me and doctors run labs and they say, oh, everything is in range. Everything looks normal. And the reality is, is nothing about that range, especially the tail end of the range is norm is, is optimal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a statistical average. So oftentimes my clients are not being listened to. They have all sorts of symptoms, but their doctor is saying, nope, looks, it lo- looks good here. Nothing to see here. So that's why that question is so very, very important. And the other mm-hmm. thing I would add to that, and please comment, is that if you're looking at various um, different, different readings. Um, so not just the th- the, the thyroid, but you're looking at different hormone levels and, and although conventional medicine may say, oh yeah, you're still within the normal range, but if you're high normal in one, you're low normal in another to you, that might tell you a different story altogether. Yes. So, so that kind of example that I gave of in a, in a functional sense, we look at the tree, we look at the trunk, we Mm -hmm. look at the branches, we look at the, the, the leaves, we look at the soil, we look at the roots. So I would say the biggest difference between functional medicine and allopathic Western medicine is that we look at the body as a whole. Mm -hmm. The body doesn't just work independently (laughs) in systems. And that's how, you know, you go to your gynecologist Mm -hmm. or your cardiologist or your orthopedic surgeon. And that's just not how the human body works. The human body works in this like brilliant, beautiful, self-healing, cohesive system. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yes, I'm using these labs to paint a picture of what's happening in the body. So I also look at blood chemistry and all of these different labs, and I'm not using those labs to say, oh, yep, you have a hypothyroid or you have a hyperthyroid or you have an autoimmune disease. I'm Again, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't diagnose or treat diseases specifically, but 90 to 95% of all diseases are environmental. Only about mm-hmm. 5 to 10% of disease is genetic. And even if you have a genetic predisposition for hypothyroidism or rheumatoid arthritis, um, the, the, the genetics kind of loads the gun, but it's your environment that pulls the trigger. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's really important to see what is going on, you know, with, with, with the entire body. Thyroid hormones are metabolized in the liver. If you weren't converting, um, you know, uh, teeth, you know, uh, if you're not converting your thyroid hormones, I'm going to, you know, and you've got really low, um, you know, TSH and T3 and T4 and free T3, free T4 metrics. I'm going to also look at what's happening with liver, with liver markers. Mm -hmm. Does the liver need some support? So we're constantly trying to see the whole picture. Again, Mm -hmm. we're not going to take a leaf, spray paint it green and stick it back on the tree with some Elmer's glue. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, very good. 
Good. So you've really answered what I was going to ask you, which was um, why you focus on analyses instead of symptoms. You've answered that very well. But when you talk about statistical averages, they, they are very dangerous. It reminds me, Kathleen's heard this one, you may not, of the the case of uh, six-foot statisticians drowning in a river with an average depth of four feet, right? So, sorry about that. But it's true. Yeah. You know, statistic well, and, averages can be totally misleading. But totally. So the, and, you know, your question around um, analysis versus mm -hmm. symptoms, I would say they are both very, very important. Sure. Because, um, you know, as I said, on average, my clients have seen 12 doctors before yeah. they have come to me. And the doctors, you know, if they were, if the doctors, you know, are focusing on, you know, the lab ranges. So they're also focused on kind of an, an analysis, right? But there's symptoms that are associated with it. So let's take mm -hmm. thyroid, for example. If you have a hypothyroid, oftentimes there's hair loss. You're very tired, lethargic. You may have a hard time sleeping. Um, you may have dry skin. Like there's all sorts of things that can, that are impacted, you know, when you have um, an underperforming thyroid. And, um, and so there's no such thing as normal insomnia. There's no such thing as like, is like normal, you know, where it's like all of a sudden, like all of your hair is falling out of your head. Mm. That's not normal. No. And so I think it's very important to have the symptoms kind of guide the way, but then we can look and kind of, I'm a bit of a health detective. I use these clinical tools to be able to analyze, well, why do the symptoms exist? And then also, how do we create a tailored plan, something that is specifically for you to reverse those symptoms? So symptoms are very important. I think they're kind of the other side of a coin. Sure, sure. So, so that raises another, sorry, quick one, Kathleen, another one. Um, do you find that within, consider the normal range, and I know with all the limitations of it being an average, but do some people function perfectly healthily at a higher level than others on any of those or many of those given tests? Of course. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a range. And that's also why we look at multiple markers and multiple right. labs so that we can get a picture of, um, of health. Every, your, your metabolism is as unique as your fingerprint. There sure. isn't another one that's, that's like it out there in the world. And so, you know, these cookie cutter one size fit all solutions for health and wellness simply don't work for most people, especially if you get to be a little bit older, you have a little more life under your belt, you know, you've, you've, you've weathered a couple of storms through your, you know, throughout your days you have maybe a little bit less vital reserve than if you were, you know, 21 years old. I mean, mm -hmm. if I told you how I was living my life when I was 21 years old, I mean, it literally like makes my ears bleed sometimes where I'm like, wow, I was eating and drinking and not sleeping and all of the things. Um, and so when you get a little bit older and you have kind of this shampoo residual effect of all of the decisions that you've made up until that point, um, you know, you, you need a little bit more support. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. I think she's talking about me, Kathleen. I'm talking about all of us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See? See? <laughs> so, 
Maya, often when a person is out of balance physically, those imbalances have an impact on other areas of their life. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, I think it was Warren Buffett that used the analogy that you get, you get, what if, what if you only got one car in your life? How would you drive that car? How would you take care of the car? What kind of gas would you put in that car? Right. I went to university in Omaha, Nebraska at Creighton University. And, you know, that's where, where good old Mr. Buffett lives. And so I'm familiar with a lot of his, you know, his, his books and works and all that stuff. And, and I just think it's such a wonderful analogy. You have one body in this lifetime and, um, in when, I mean, it's literally your vehicle for the rest of your life. And Mm -hmm. so if you have this car and it's the only car that you have and you're trying to, you know, drive from Omaha to Austin, Texas with a flat tire, you know, no spark plugs, (laughs) it's, you're just not going to get very far. And so I know that you all tailor to entrepreneurs and I feel like there is this no pain, no gain, hustle and grind at all costs mentality that's out there. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is it doesn't work. It is Mm -hmm. short-lived. Long-term, eventually you are unable to continue. Um, And if you don't make time for your wellness, um, your body will ensure that you make time for your sickness. And it is significantly easier to um, simply put in some systems in your life that allow you to get more miles on the tires before they blow mm-hmm. versus making time for chemo or a heart operation, right? You know, or a stroke or all of these things that are really on the rise. Right. And oftentimes people are, I don't know, we've been conditioned to think that if we're functioning somewhat well on a day-to-day basis and we think we're healthy, but in reality, we're far from it. Um, yeah, I think there's you know, a glorification we'll just... of I'm busy, I'm stressed out, I don't sleep, no pain, no gain. Um, and these are just not winning belief structures and frameworks. They don't win mm-hmm. long-term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So... Maya, we we see from people we have on the show, from general reading observations, we, we see there seems to be a huge increase in the number of people experiencing burnout in their careers or if they're entrepreneurs in their business journey. And it seems to have got worse, I think, over the last three years, or more people are becoming aware of it over the three years where a lot of people suddenly were removed from the, the stress of the workplace. But what, what do you think the main reason for that is? So... Stress is the number six cause of death in the United States. I don't know what is it, it is really? in Canada. Probably so, um, so, and and most people think that stress is, I had a bad day at work, or my partner was being a jerk, and that's just simply too narrow of a definition mm-hmm. of stress. Stress, there's, I like to kind of have three stress buckets. There's physical stress. I got into a car accident. I have a traumatic brain injury. I broke my leg. So those are physical stressors. Mm-hmm. Um, the second kind of stress is a biochemical bucket. So um, drinking alcohol, not getting enough sleep, over-the-counter drugs, antibiotics, um, those kinds of things, um, eating um, uh, foods that are inflammatory, mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the biochemical bucket. And then there's the, the emotional stressors, that third bucket partners being a jerk, stressful day at work. 
regardless, the, the body does not differentiate between those kinds of stressors. So your body has the auto, has the autonomic nervous system, um, which is your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. You've probably heard fight or flight or rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening in fight or flight is that your body perceives stress Back in the day, that would have been a saber-toothed tiger, right? I see uh -huh. a saber-toothed tiger. I need to get away from the saber-toothed tiger. So simultaneously, within milliseconds, two things happen. Anything that's needed for short-term survival, um, blood to the big muscle movers, uh, increased respiration, being able to think and see more clearly, all of those things are enhanced through cortisol. So cortisol uh -huh. is being um, essentially produced in the adrenals. Um, and all of those things for short-term survival are enhanced. Well, it, the body is always in balance. So if something is enhanced, it means something else is depressed. Your digestion is depressed, which is often when you get very scared, right? You evacuate mm -hmm. your bowels and your bladder. Um, reproduction is depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, DNA repair, um, RNA repair, um, uh, all of these things that are necessary for long-term survival are, are suppressed because the body doesn't care if we can fight the cancer cells, if the saber-toothed tiger is about to sure. eat us, right? Yeah. Well, today we have more of those stressors. And again, now we're working with a more broad definition of stress. Mm -hmm. The environment is, uh, is significantly more unhealthy. They just did a um, analysis of baby blood cords, uh, uh, mm -hmm. um, baby uh, umbilical cord uh, blood. Oh yeah. And it was something like there was over 200 chemicals. These are, well, these are, these are babies that were just born, yeah. right? There's like for forever chemicals, glyphosate, which is um, oh, used round on, on Roundup. Round up. It's used on crops. It's a carcinogen per the World Health Organization. So we have a significantly more unhealthy just environment, right? So our baseline toxic load is higher than our grandparents. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, there's environmental reasons that uh, why, cause that leads to burnout. It, it's not simply just emotional stress. Right. And then I think that at least in the U S right. The U S is kind of the great American dream and hustle mentality. And we have really glorified in relation to, I think, other countries like mm -hmm. Europe, where you're on holiday for the entire, you know, in a month or six weeks out of the summer. So I think there's also some kind of belief structures around what um, what is glorified. Um, and let's, you know, let's let's not, um, you know, skip over the fact that there was a global pandemic. Um, where people lost their jobs and mm -hmm. realized that they didn't really like their husband anymore. And wanted, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, there's there's so much that is happening. So I think that it's a it's a combination of things. Of okay. our environment is more toxic, so our baseline stressors and kind of toxic load is higher, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is how you choose to live your life, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. intentional. Yeah. Right. So, and you, you, sorry, you can throw on top of that that people, by and large, don't get anywhere near the amount of exercise that their grandparents did, and they eat more fast food than their grandparents did. Right. So there's another two that aggravate it. 
90, 90, if you go to the grocery store, 99% of all of the food in the grocery store has high fructose corn syrup in it, mm-hmm. which by the way, is a literal poison. So, so, you know, and high fructose corn syrup is incredibly inflammatory for the body. Um, so the way that we are eating is very different to your point. The way that we move our body is very mm. different. You know, um, you know, there are some tools that I use and we can talk about that in a little bit, but both those, you know, food and, and movement are, are two of the tools that mm. I use in order to reverse these, you know, gnarly symptoms that my clients have. So yes, all of those things are, um, you know, uh, are, are really important. You're spot on. Yes. Uh, so once you've been able to determine clinically what imbalances are existing in, in someone, how do you go about designing a program that your clients um, that are able to address these issues in their, in your client? Like, how do you, how do you go about that? Such a good question. So I think the most important thing to understand is that humans are driven by two things. We seek pleasure and we avoid pain. It's literally what has perpetuated the human, the human race. Mm -hmm. And it's very important. You know, I could create the most complicated program in the world and it could be clinically the right thing to do but it could be very painful with very little pleasure, which means the adherence to said protocol is going to be 5%. Right. So the reality is that we need to keep things simple and we need to start slow. So with my private clients, I do essentially three, I work on three or four things about one thing per week, week and a half. Um, that really is like low hanging fruit. And these Mm -hmm. are, this is the baseline where if we don't nail, um, these handful of things, no amount of labs or supplements or very specific ways of eating are going to make a difference because Mm -hmm. they are Mm non-negotiable. Um, and so the, and so it's, it's kind of, okay, who is the human that's sitting in front of me? What constraints do they have? Are they a mom? Are they an entrepreneur? Do they travel a lot? Um, and I just take a look at the whole human that's in front of me. And I've been doing this for, you know, close to 10 years now. Um, and I'm able to, um, kind of stair step one thing at a time. We're not changing our diet and a workout routine and adding supplements in and, 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 and we're literally changing one thing. So the first thing I do with all of my private clients in the first week is I change their breakfast. That in and of itself is like mind blowing for most people. Um, because it, it, I give them a 15 minute hack I said, give me 15 minutes. I'll show you how to make breakfast, the right breakfast um, for your entire week. So all of a sudden, you know, oh, at the, the next two week call, my clients are like, man, I lost, I lost seven pounds in, in like two weeks just from changing my breakfast. We don't need to overcomplicate things. And mm-hmm. we also need to do the right thing at the right time in the right mm-hmm. order. So if I don't do a couple of very key kind of low hanging fruit, you know, items, nothing else is going to really be successful because I'm building on a foundation of quicksand instead of bedrock. 
Okay, you piqued my interest. You've changed someone's breakfast. Can you give us an example? Of course. So um, uh, I know that intermittent fasting is, is, uh, is all the rage right now. For the most part, all of the research on intermittent fasting was done on white men. Mm-hmm. And women, newsflash, are different than men. We have different biologies. We have different hormonal structure. We have different chromosomes. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole physiological, biological difference between men and women. Right. And so, uh, so intermittent fasting is great if you do it following hormonal cycles for women. And if you are in a healthy place, most of the women that I work with um, are in a state of, uh, of adrenal dysfunction. They're in a constant uh, state of fight or flight. Their body is already saying, oh, we better prepare for a famine. There's constant stress. Store all the fat around the belly, um, which is probably very familiar to a lot of the uh-huh. women and men that are listening, where it's like, why do I have all this belly fat? It's literally your body saying something crazy is happening. I'm probably not going to be fed. I need to increase my my fat storage. So when you are in a state of HPA access dysfunction or adrenal dysfunction, a state of stress, you need uh, 20 for, for most women, 20 to 30 grams of protein within 30 to 45 minutes of waking up. And, um, and that helps kind of stimulate your metabolism. So I give my clients two breakfasts. One is a smoothie that's formulated with the right, the right kind of protein. I mean, how many times have you like struggled around? Like, do I do a plant protein powder? Do I do collagen? Do I do whey? Like, I just tell them, this is the best protein powder to use. These are the ingredients. Here's your 15 minute, you know, and it's, it's high carb. I'm sorry. It's high protein, lower carb, not non-existent carb, but lower carb in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also do like a chia pudding, which, um, again, both of these breakfasts have, you know, 20 to 30 grams of protein in it. That's low glycemic. You can eat one on the run. If you're like a mom, you know, cause a lot of times people are mm-hmm. like, I don't have time for breakfast. And yes, you do. You're just going to, you're going to take it with you on the go. And so that's the very first thing that I do with most of, with all of my clients, which is we need to fuel your body. Um, We need to, uh, we need to make sure that we are regulating blood sugar. We're kind of kicking on the engines. Um, So those are the two breakfasts that I, that, that, that I, that I kind of give them an an option and both of them can be prepped for the entire week. It takes a handful of minutes and Mm. you are good to go. Hmm. Wow. wow. Well, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense as to why intermittent fasting doesn't work for a lot of people. Doesn't it? If you don't, you don't get that protein in the morning, and your body's saying, "I've got to eat more when I can." So, yeah, wow. and, and, so, and you, so if if you are, you know, with with um, with women, you, especially with women, you need to fast like a girl. You can't fast like a man because we are different biologically. Sure, and so, sure, sure. so I feel like, um, you know, oftentimes, um, you know. Uh, 
uh, and when you are kind of in the state of HP access dysfunction, most of my clients are like, I'm not even hungry until two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then they were told like, oh, that's intermittent fasting and that's good for you. And it's like, uh, that might be good for some people, but it mm-hmm. is not good for you. If you are in this state of metabolic chaos, which right. I mean, they say only about 10% of the U S population is metabolically healthy. Really? How do you think of eggs as protein in the morning? If you, if it's not inflammatory for you, then I think it's great. Um, I think that the American Heart Association did a number on, um, on the, Mm. the U S population by saying that you need to eat low cholesterol foods. Um, you know, an egg in eggs tend to be, um, uh, one of the higher allergen foods, but I like to say is why, why is a normal human allergic? Like why is, why are allergies such a thing right now? And Mm -hmm. it goes back to metabolic health. Um, so I love eggs. Um, you know, I think it's like a perfect superfood. I mean, it's going to turn into, you know, a grown chicken. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, so I love eggs. Um, there may be some things that we need to do in order to make eggs tolerable for you eventually. And that has to do with gut dysbiosis and the microbiome. But for most people, I think eggs are a fantastic, um, source of protein. Right. Mm, Excellent. Wow. So I, very quick observation on the question. I lived most of my life in Africa. That's why I talk a bit funny. And, I met many black Africans who live pretty bad lives from a diet and environment point of view compared to what we consider healthy, right? Really restricted diet, living in pretty poor housing, but not exposed to chemicals, pesticides and all that. And very few get allergies, very few have heart attacks, and very few suffer from stress. So I think it's an interest. And they walk from the time when they're little kids walking three or four miles a day to school all their lives they walk, right? And uh, I think it's quite interesting that with all our science and medical health, many of them are healthier than we are when they reach their 70s and 80s. I mean, a- I think I, I think that this is, you You bring up a great point. And so if we take a look at, you know, um, an, a particular set of diseases or disorders since 1990, ADHD has increased um, over 800%. Yeah. Alzheimer's disease has increased almost 300%. Oh. Autism has increased over 2000%. 1000%. Bipolar yeah. disease in youth has increased over 10,000%. Celiac disease over yeah. 1000%. I-, I could go on and on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What is happening from 1990 to 2023? So we're looking at 30 years. That's what right. is going on? Genetics do not change. Genetics take thousands of years to change. That's right. So we know it's environmental. We know that when you change in an environment, you change, you change your, your health diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And, and all that, that list you mentioned until I moved to Canada 20 years ago, I'd hardly ever heard of any of those. People got hay fever a couple of times a year when the grass or the pollen, that was it. Oh, very few were allergic to bees. Never heard of anyone allergic to peanuts before I came here. Everybody is allergic to peanuts now. You know, I, I just gave birth to to my first son four months ago. And congratulations. I, <laughs> thanks. And I'm like, this is so much so on my radar. Like, why 
why is why are we diagnosing kids? You know, one in the CDC says that one in 34 children now are on spectrum. They're autistic. Um, in the 1970s, it was one in 10,000. That's so right. What what the H E double hockey sticks has happened in the environment to make you know? And they say that it's not because we're diagnosing better. They they because a lot of people say, oh, we're better at diagnosing, and it's like. If you see somebody that's on spectrum, it's pretty obvious, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to miss. So, um, so anyway, it's a lot of it is environmental. And unfortunately, um, in the United States, we have atrocious, atrocious regulations around the chemicals that can be in our food, in our water. Um, I mean, polysorbate 80 is in everything, which is one of the main, it, it crosses over the blood brain barrier. Um, it's a um, um, it's a preservative that's in literally everything, um, and and we know that it causes ADHD in children. So, like, w- what are we doing here? Whereas these things, I mean, I think that European Union, I think there's close to two hundred thousand chemicals that are banned in the EU that are not banned yeah. in the United States. Right. So you end up living this defensive lifestyle of being defensive around what food can I eat? What products can I put a, put on my skin? You know, what the air that I'm breathing, the water that I'm drinking. So environment is literally everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Wow. We could go on and on for hours, but we're rapidly running out of time. So very quick one for you. What, what you, in your opinion, Maya, with all your experience dealing with so many people, is there a mindset or a characteristic or habit that sets apart those people who, without your skills, lead a relatively healthy, well-balanced life, I'm talking nutrition and health, from the average who just don't look after themselves very well? Is there one thing or is it more complicated? I think it's more complicated. I, okay. I think that our uh, we do what our parents do and mm-hmm. um, these belief systems are passed on. It's like when you are born, you're handed a suitcase and that suitcase is heavier for some people and lighter for others. And these beliefs become our programming. And Mm -hmm. so oftentimes for, you know, my female clients, it's this sense of I'm not as important as everybody else in my life. So I will turn myself inside out for my husband, for my children, for my boss, for my clients And it's why my program is called the inside out protocol, because we're transforming from the inside out. And we start with what kind of analyzing and dissecting what is the programming, aka the belief structure that you have around Mm -hmm. health and wellness, because a lot of people are, um, everybody wants to know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I'm like, "Uh -uh. who do you need to be Mm -hmm. in order to do the things that you need to do? in order to get where you want to go. Most right. people know they need to move their bodies, get sunshine, eat healthy, not drink, you know, a boatload of beer. Um, like most people know what to do, but they have a hard time in that instant moment where they have a, a choice to um, keep their promises and agreements to themselves. They choose to say F it, throw caution to the wind and they eat the thing or skip the workout or, you know, whatever it is. So 
I think that it, it comes from, you hit the nail on the head, which is beliefs and like your identity. Who, mm-hmm. who do you identify as? Well, I don't identify as, you know, as, I don't identify as a smoker, so I don't smoke cigarettes. I oh. identify as a healthy person. So the behaviors that I'm able to execute on are that of a, of a healthy person. Healthy person. So one of the first things that I do with my clients is um, I call them identity adjectives. So it's like, what do you want to have? Great. List that out. What do you need to do? The actions that you need to take in order to have those things. Great. List that out. Now give me five identity adjectives. Who do you need to be in order to do the things that you need to do in order to have the things that you want to have? have. And in that moment where I'm about to cruise through the drive-through at McDonald's or wherever, and I'm, uh, and let's say one of my identity adjectives is to be uh, is to be consistent, consistent with my eating. Right. I would say, is this the behavior of a consistent person? Right. And then, so it's this like the split second, like pause where we mm-hmm. are weaving in new identity adjectives, which is kind of the programming, the software for, for the hardware. Right. Well, oh, wonderful. That's wonderful. We've actually run out of time. Maya, it's too bad because we could probably <laughs> keep on chatting well, here for, for sure. hours. But how do people contact you? Um, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is to go to my website, mayamiller.com. There's a quick little application you can fill out just so that I know what's going on with you. Um, and then we just hop on a Zoom call and I'll let you know whether or not you're a good fit for um, for what I do. And if it's not a good fit, I probably know somebody that that can help. And so I, I don't gatekeep. I'm pretty accessible. You know, head to my website and um, set up a call. Fantastic. Well, Great. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Thank you You're so welcome. much, Maya, for being with us today. And thank you all once again for tuning into our show. If anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, we uh, invite you to visit our website at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form. And we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.